Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you as always. Yes. I'm happy to be with you, Wendy, as always. Oh, thank you. Like, we're kind of, sort of with everybody else, sort of, kind of, but we're actually with each other here. That is a good thing. In my office, Mm -hmm. recording this podcast. Right. And last night, we were with one another watching the Olympics. We were. Because. We love to watch the Olympics. We love to watch the Olympics together. together. It's like a really fun thing every, well, every two years, if you count the different seasons. But we love especially the Summer Olympics because gymnastics. Gymnastics. Mm-hmm. We love to watch gymnastics together. But we also love to watch figure skating together. That's right. So we're good. <laughs> Winter, Winter, summer. Winter, summer. We love the Olympics. <laughs> it just goes back to my childhood, actually. I remember the first Olympics I remember are the 76 Olympics. And the gymnast then was Nadia Kamenich, if I'm saying her name correct. Mm-hmm. Kamenichi? I forget. Anyway. So that got in my blood when I was a little boy watching gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And we we all, I'm sure if you're an Olympics follower, you heard the news. Um, By the time this podcast airs, it will have been maybe old news. But Simone Biles, who was the favorite to win the gold uh, for the individual events and the all-around and to help bring her team to gold, she pulled out of the Olympics. And I wanted to comment just how interesting this story is, just as a human story. She writes about and has spoken in interviews about feeling the weight of the world on her shoulders going into these Olympics. Mm. And when she withdrew, she said this in an interview, the outpouring of love and support that I've received has made me realize that I am more than my accomplishments in gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Mm. We all have this yearning for recognition, approval, and oftentimes we strive and strive to win that approval. And that can be, you know, just in your workplace, in your family, in your parish, in your university, wherever you do what you do. Well, here's Simone Biles, known by the world as probably the best female gymnast in history. Mm -hmm. And can you imagine the global pressure on her going into these Olympics? And she said, no, I'm, I'm pulling out. There's something really admirable about that, recognizing need to take care of her emotional and mental well-being. Mm -hmm. And then coming to realize she's, she's, not merely her accomplishments. There's something deeper. You and I have been through a, obviously not on a global scale, but much smaller version of a similar story in our own marriage. Just where do we get our worth from? Do we get our worth from pleasing our spouse? Do we get our worth from uh, being a good mom, being a good dad? Uh, Not that any of those things, we shouldn't strive to be good parents or good spouses, but That's not where our dignity comes from. And I I do think, I'm pretty sure Simone Biles is a a Christian. And I remember seeing her on Dancing with the Stars a couple years ago where she danced to the 
that Christian song, You're a Good, Good Father. Mm. And she dedicated it to her father. And it was it's really touching, really moving. Mm. So it seems to me anyway, just as, as an outsider, but I think she's, she's wrestling with some really human mm -hmm. stuff. And she's courageous to do that on a global stage. Yeah. So what are you guys struggling with out there? Where are you, where are you struggling to find your identity? Are you finding it or trying to find it in your work, in your motherhood, fatherhood, uh, in, you know, accomplishments in exterior things, or are you looking for your identity in the fact that you're a son or daughter of the father, the father, the eternal father, heavenly father, show us, show us who we are, show us our real dignity. Show us that when everything is stripped away from us, our accomplishments, our trophies, our we did this or we did that, when all of that is stripped away, show us that our identity comes from you. And we lift up Simone Biles right now and all she's going through, and we ask that what she did would inspire others to let go of things that might be interfering with finding their true identity. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Our first question is from a patron named Kova. Hello, Kova. She says, I'm one of the lucky people that attended the TOB1 course in Madrid. Oh, excellent. I was so happy to come to Madrid to teach TOB1. It was the first time we ever taught a TOB1 course in Europe. It was very exciting. So I'm glad you were there, Kova. Mm -hmm. She says it was both a blessing and a dream come true being there with you. Well, that's nice. Her question is, I have a work colleague with same-sex attraction who's become a father through a surrogate pregnancy. Being honest, I don't feel comfortable having him and his child visiting with my children as I find his way of life is wrong and can confuse my kids. But at the same time, I also think this is not merciful. He and his child are dearly loved by God. The children are not guilty of the sins of their parents. How do you advise we teach our children solid and clear truth with mercy so they can learn to deal with these people? Bless you, Kova. It's a, a complex issue, isn't it? And, and I hear just in the way you phrased your question, I think you're looking at it in the right way. Uh, we, we must be clear on what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what is right. And what is wrong? And at the same time, recognizing we're all sinners, we're, none of us live the fullness of the truth uh, without flaw, without failure. So mercy is something we all need. And the more we are open to God's mercy, the more we have allowed God's mercy to work in and through our lives the more we're able to show that. The basic principle, you can't give what you don't have. I always say to people, if you're having a difficult time showing mercy to someone, then there's somewhere in the heart that you're having a difficult time receiving it, or maybe even recognizing that you need it just as much as this other guy over there who, whose sins might seem to be more obvious or or maybe even more severe. We're, we're all in need of God's mercy. One of my favorite expressions, I heard it years ago, I say it often to my students, and I say it often to myself because I need to hear it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We are all in need of God's mercy. Kova, I would say 
that this is an opportunity to teach your children how to walk that, that line through your own example, that there would be an opportunity, I think this raises the opportunity in your family to speak about what's going on in the world, to speak about the beauty, first and foremost, the beauty and goodness of being created male and female. You know, we shouldn't focus in so much on the disorders out there or the the distortions of God's original plan for man and woman, as we should focus on the beauty, the splendor, the goodness of God's plan for man and woman, with our children especially. And if we do that, if we focus on the beauty and the goodness of God's plan, they're going to recognize on their own the counterfeits to that. And I'm reminded of how money handlers are actually trained to recognize counterfeit money. You know, they are trained not by examining or discussing the counterfeits. They're trained by examining and learning the look, the feel, the smell, the texture of the real $100 bills. That's what they study. That's what they focus on. And then knowing that so well, when a counterfeit $100 bill is hidden in the midst of, say, 100 real $100 bills, if they know the look and feel inside and out of a real $100 bill, they can point out the counterfeit. I think that's a, an analogy we can look at in terms of where are we placing our emphasis. We shouldn't emphasize that which is wrong. We should emphasize that which is right, that which is true, that which is beautiful. And then when that which is wrong presents itself, we can recognize it as such. So that's what I would say first in terms of passing a vision on to your children. And in that context, we can talk about the battle the battle that we are involved in, that there is a war raging against the original, beautiful, wonderful, glorious plan of God for making us male and female. There's an enemy who hates our bodies. There's an enemy who hates that we're male and female. Why? Because our creation as male and female is the main icon, the main symbol in this world that reveals the eternal plan of God that we would be one with him in a life-giving union of love forever. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. For what reason? Paul tells us this is a great mystery, a mega mystery, and it refers to God's eternal plan that his son, Jesus Christ, would take flesh and marry the church, that we would become one in the flesh with Christ. The one flesh union of man and woman right from the beginning is a sign God's eternal plan to become one in the flesh with us. And that's why the enemy hates our bodies. So we have to paint the beautiful picture, the glorious plan of God with our children. Then we have to paint the picture that there's an enemy who hates this plan, who's attacking this plan. And we have to help our children understand that many people in this world have fallen for this counterfeit version of the story. And then we can talk about our disposition towards them is not one of judgment, not one of condemnation, not one of thumbing our noses or copying some kind of superior attitude, but rather it is one of mercy. When we are engaged in a war, we have to have the courage to go behind enemy lines, so to speak, and like in Saving Private Ryan. Forgive me, I'm a movie guy. Movie scenes come to my mind, and 
and the whole plot of Saving Private Ryan is that they have to go behind enemy lines to pull one of their own out, right? Those who are immersed in the homosexual agenda, for example, they are, they are victims of the enemy's twisting and distortions of God's original plan. They are not the enemy. They are in the grips of the enemy. And when we understand that, that helps us to have our first and fundamental disposition be one of mercy, of compassion. So a part of educating our children, a part of raising them in this fallen world to recognize we are in it but not of it, is to understand the original plan, the battle against it, the fact that there are real people, lovable people, sons and daughters of God, who have fallen for the enemy's lies and deceptions. We have to be clear what, what is true, what is a lie, but we also have to show mercy. We have to be willing, as Jesus was, you know, and here's maybe more to the heart of your question, is should you be associating with such people? You, sh you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be ostracizing them. You shouldn't be merely putting up walls and defenses against others. Rather, we should be building bridges. And if you already have a relationship with this man, it seems like you do, this is an opportunity, I would suggest, of real education of your children. Uh, Wendy, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I find myself thinking, you know, I hope it wouldn't offend our listeners for me to say one of those it depends kind of phrases, but I, I do think there are a lot of unanswered questions from the example. Right. We don't know entirely what's going on. Yeah. We don't know the, the relationship you have with your coworker already or the ages of your children. Right. So there are different factors. And I certainly don't think you have an obligation to suddenly seek out greater connection with him because he has a child. Um, but at the same time, many of our listeners are just naturally in relationships where this is an issue. And so all that you shared, Christopher, is very helpful for those who, you know, that is just the situation in which they find themselves, which could be in, for lots of different reasons. It is sensitive when we talk to our children because sometimes they report things to their friends um, that can just reveal their childish misunderstandings of right. things and get re-reported in a you know a way that misconstrues our intention there is all that risk yes, involved yes. Well that said. is a little bit painful to consider you know what could be heard or reported or um just flipped around in what we said and it yeah. gets into the young person's ears and come yeah we've yeah. experienced that raising our own children sure. for sure sure so just saying all that to Kova, I, I feel like there is a beautiful instinct that you have, Kova, to recognize God's great love for your co-worker and his child. Yeah. And to not question that for a moment. And we can, you know, we don't, I mean, wouldn't maybe say, well, I don't think God loves that person, but we can d develop a resentment in our hearts. Like, why do you have to live this way that causes me so much yes, trouble? Yes, yes, Why do you live this way that confuses my children right. on something that is so important? I don't want them to be confused about this. And now you're causing this confusion. You're forcing me to have conversations that right. in the normal natural course of events shouldn't be having with my children. 
Right. So all certainly of- not if, especially if they're sorry to interrupt, but especially if they're younger. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this stuff is going on in schools now with kindergartners and yeah. where you, your your parents' hands are being forced to talk about things that sh- we shouldn't be talking about with our children until they're significantly older. Right. That makes it really tricky. Sorry. It is. It is difficult. And Kova, I know that our answer isn't, you know, just a black and white answer. And I think maybe from your question, you already knew it wouldn't be. But I I just want to reaffirm what Christopher said about how important for children to become grateful for and have a certain awe for the gift of God's plan as it is just in a very natural way, nothing, you know, sort of put on them in a pressured kind of way, but just in reflecting, this is good. This is good what God has done. Um, And to be grateful for that is a beautiful foundation for any child in, in dealing with all kinds of questions that come up in the future. And then also just having an openness to the possibility that there could be uh, a relationship and that it would be so informed by God's love and mercy and yet your commitment to the truth of God's plan, how that works out with each individual child. We can't spell that out completely, but I think um, all that you've learned already about theology of the body is such a helpful foundation. And I I pray that the Lord just shows you the next step in your particular situation um, based on all that you already know and are reflecting on and for the needs of this man and his child. I'll add one more thought for Kova, and that's this, Kova. You know, walking through this, again, we don't know the ages of your children, but at the appropriate age in presenting a vision to your children, teaching them how to show mercy towards those who are who have fallen for the enemy's deceptions. Um, all that said, if at the right time and in the right way, you you do have a relationship or, or you welcome uh, more contact with him and your children may become friends with, with his child, do not underestimate the impact of your just being you on that other man's child. It can go the other way too. Not only, you know, there's a concern, understandably, could he and his child and his lifestyle have a negative impact on my children? Well, go the other way in that your life and your witness, just being a, a family that's in accord with God's will and design, can be a witness to that child. That child is growing up with as they say in the world, it's it's a misnomer, but two fathers. There's no such thing. No one has two, two fathers. Um, seeing a mother and a father and raise, raising children for that other child will be a witness, and it will stir important questions in that child's life. That child has a difficult road ahead of him. In, in one day, he's going to learn that he was carried in a surrogate womb, and all that that means, all the identity questions that that's going to stir, do not underestimate the power of your own witness in that child's life. So I just hold that out to you as well. Mm. Our next question is from a listener named Emma. Hello, Emma. I've been looking for resources to recover from the porn addiction of my husband. 
I found good psychological resources that helped a little, but I'm in need of something more. I have trauma because of my husband's acting out. It brings a lot of trouble into the relationship because my husband is unable to help me and support me. Psychological resources have a lot of, quote, focus on you first kind of approach. Boundaries, self-care, expectations of what a betraying husband should do to repair the damage done, etc. As time goes by, I feel more and more that I will need a sacrificial love kind of mm. approach, but it's not taught anywhere. I'm a little afraid of the future. I feel I can't trust my husband and never will. I want communion with him. I want the marriage that God wants for us, but I'm not sure my husband thinks that deep. Aside from focusing on me and taking care of me, what should I do to heal or at least be able to give myself the most I can, even if my hurt is never healed? Bless you, Emma. I, I can sense the beautiful contours of your heart in your question, Emma. There are so many interesting things that you expressed, and interesting might not be the, the best word, but they, they piqued my, my interest in you as a person. And one of the things that you said that really struck me is you desire communion with your husband. And I'd like to comment on that. You desire communion with your husband. It's going to sound strange what I'm about to say, but you are in a deeper communion with your husband than you may realize. But it's a painful communion. It's a communion of great suffering. You know in a very real way in your own heart, Emma, your husband's sufferings. Because in a very real way, your husband has placed his sufferings, or, you know, we sometimes say dumped, someone dumps their sufferings on us. Your husband's addiction to porn is a window into a deep and profound suffering and pain in his life. The pain that you feel is a sharing in his pain. And there is a very real although rarely, it's not what we desire, right? Rarely do we desire this kind of communion, but it is a nonetheless a real communion, a communion in the sorrowful Christ, if you will. Uh, this is where we are learning the way of the cross, and it's no longer theory, it's no longer just thumbing beads and praying uh, the sorrowful mysteries, in a kind of rote way, this is a living rosary. You are, you are a living rosary, and you are living now in and through the sorrowful mysteries. What did Christ do in those sorrowful mysteries? Without committing the sin that humanity committed, without ever committing any personal sins whatsoever, nonetheless, Christ became sin. What does that mean? It means he felt in his being the suffering of sin. He felt in his being the weight of sin. He felt in his being the pain of sin. Sin is a rupture. Sin is a rupture of communion. And yet that cry of your heart 
Emma, for communion with your husband is a recognition that porn has severed the communion you are meant to have with your husband. And yet there's a mystery of mysteries unfolding here, exemplified in Christ. The sin that we committed against God ruptured our communion with God. What's God's punishment for that? It's a strange punishment. God's punishment for our sin is that God himself would feel the rupture, would enter into it. He who was innocent would become sin and feel and experience in his own life the weight and, and sorrow and pain of the guilty in order to set us free. His punishment, you will, for rupturing the communion was that he would enter communion with us in our sinfulness, not by committing it, of course, again, but by feeling the pain, by carrying the burden of it. This is why Christ can identify with us in all of our sorrow, in all of our suffering, in all of our brokenness. Even in our sinfulness, we can find Christ there because he became sin without committing sin. You are feeling, Emma, in your heart, in your person, the sin of your husband, the rupture of communion. And mystery of mysteries, there's a kind of communion which is very real, modeled after Christ. You are in communion with your husband in his sorrow, in his pain, in his brokenness. You feel it. You feel that rupture. And here's the glory of redemption. Your husband, as you said, he may not understand any of this, but maybe, maybe the Lord has allowed you to feel in your own heart the pain and sorrow and rupture in your husband because the Lord knew that you would know how or would learn how, and I think this is part of that learning, that you would learn how to offer that suffering on your husband's behalf with Jesus to the Father, so that it can be transformed into glory. This is the way of redemption, and this is where the sacrament of marriage really and truly bears its fruit. One of my favorite lines from John Paul II is this, spouses are the constant reminder to the world and the church of what happened on the cross. Let's let that sink in, and I'll say it again. Spouses are the constant reminder to the world and the church of what happened on the cross. What happened on the cross? Christ bore our sins to redeem us. This is part of married love. John Paul II says that authentic married love is redemptive love, and it brings the love of the Redeemer into the relationship. And the love of the Redeemer is a love that bears sin, sin that it hasn't committed to save the one who has committed it. You are bearing in your heart, Emma, very, very painful sins that your husband has committed, but opening them to Jesus, bearing them with Jesus, being united with Christ the bridegroom on the marriage bed of the cross. That's a quote from St. Augustine. That's what how St. Augustine describes what happened at the cross. He called it the marriage bed of Christ. You, Emma, 
in union with Christ on the marriage bed of suffering, offering what your husband, the pain your husband has caused you in union with Jesus to the Father is redemptive, and you are fulfilling your sacrament. And here's the good news. You are passing through the sorrowful mysteries now. This is your living rosary now. But we all know where it goes. The sorrowful mysteries lead to the glorious mysteries. And we carry in our bodies, this is right from St. Paul, we carry in our bodies the suffering of the Lord so that we might also carry and manifest in our bodies the glory of the resurrected Lord. This is the trajectory. This is where you're going, Emma. This is where it leads, if you're willing to give your yes. And, and let me say, as a husband who has a wife who has done similarly for me in my brokenness and the pain that I've caused you, Wendy, you have truly lived that path in offering the suffering that I have caused you in my brokenness. You have learned how to offer that for me. And I have come to experience in very real, very profound ways the love of the Redeemer and the power of redemption, which is to say the power of what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection. I've come to experience that really and truly in and through our sacrament because of your willingness to go there, Wendy, for mm. which I am forever grateful. Emma, I just feel like your heart maybe has been you even brought up sacrificial love in your question. And so I think um, maybe the idea of sacrificial love can um, really just resonate with what Christopher is sharing, which we might call redemptive suffering. That it's not suffering just without meaning, yes, yes. but suffering that is offered up and allowed to um, be a channel of grace. Yes. And it may be that you've already experienced some of that because you're a woman of faith who's searching. And because of just the question that you're asking, almost seems like the Lord has already given you hints of that. And what Christopher shared with you will allow that to be even more real and practical for you. And I'll just take it a little bit you know, further along the practical, um, meaning that a very specific feeling you may have, like, I don't know if I can trust him. And feeling I've been betrayed, I may not be able to trust. These are things, feelings like that, that we can take to the Lord in prayer and acknowledge as our own feeling, but also ask him, to help you to understand how your husband feels that particular mm, thing. It's powerful. I've been betrayed. I don't know if I can trust. Mm. And you don't have to know the details of why your husband might feel that way. Although sometimes when we come to prayer in this way, the Lord may give us an image of a wound we know our husband has suffered and a desire for his healing in the midst of our own pain we maybe came to prayer feeling our own pain and find ourselves mm. desiring our husband's healing and, and begging the Lord in his mercy to bring healing to that wound. Well, what happens is a lifting of the burden of your suffering through that prayer for your husband. So when Christopher is talking about um, just offering, I think maybe that's an even more practical way of saying it is, is to allow the Lord to give you a compassion for your husband 
and to desire mercy and healing for him. And it is truly a source of joy. It can actually make you smile when you came to prayer, you know, suffering because you can see God's goodness at work. We all need to see that. Um, and so I just want to encourage you also just to trust that it can be a process and, you know, we can't rush to the end if we aren't there yet. Sometimes we it takes time. That's okay. But I hope that's helpful. You had asked Emma for some resources. Uh, I I should be a little more brushed up on resources that could be directly helpful to you, but I at least know where to send you to people who are well-versed in resources that might be able to help you. And I would recommend uh, Matt Frad and his work. He's done a lot of work researching pornography and its damaging effects on human relationships, both for men and for women and for wives who have been affected by husbands who have porn addiction. So please go to mattfrad.com. That's his website. Uh, another resource is Freedom Coaching, uh, a longtime friend and colleague in the work of promoting theology of the body, Steve Picorni. He wrote me a letter years ago when he was just a young guy, and I was a pretty young guy myself. Um, he was very inspired by theology of the body, and I've seen his work unfold over the years. He has an organization called Freedom Coaching. You could look into that. Please look at the, the links that we have in our show notes all the time for solid Catholic counselors that we promote. I want to highlight the work of Dr. Bob Schutz and his seminar called Healing the Whole Person. Uh, excellent resources there. Please check our links and, and follow up there. I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to find some very helpful resources. And please know you are in our prayers, Emma. God mm -hmm. bless you. Mm -hmm. Our next question is from Samantha. Hello, Samantha. She says, Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Thank you for your diligent work applying theology of the body to Christian life. It's been such a blessing to me. So glad. My sister has a genetic disorder called Turner's syndrome. It means she's missing the full genetic material for her second sex chromosome. Because mm. she's born with this disease, she's naturally infertile and will never have biological children. As part of her treatment, she's begun hormone therapy using birth control. Her doctors say this treatment is necessary, otherwise she could have more serious health problems from not having a menstrual cycle each month. Here are my questions. Since she's already infertile and not intentionally intervening with her fertility, is there a moral wrong with her being on birth control as a hormone treatment? I can, I can answer that question right away, and the <clears throat> answer to that is no. And it's in this case, we wouldn't even call it birth control. She's taking a pill to treat a, a medical issue that has is unrelated to rendering her infertile. She's already infertile. Uh, it, Paul VI says in Humanae Vitae, uh, when the pill is taken for therapeutic reasons, even in a woman who's naturally fertile, she knows that she'll be rendered infertile, uh, but so long as that is not intended, that that is what we call the principle of, of double effect, right? She's taking the pill for a medical to treat a, a serious medical condition, there is the unintended side effect, the double effect, that she will be rendered, rendered infertile. This, And we're talking about a, a woman who would be otherwise fertile. But in this case, your sister is not even fertile. So there's, there's no issue here with her taking uh, the pill. We wouldn't call it the birth control pill because it's not being taken for that purpose. Also, I've talked many times with my mother about church teachings on contraception 
my personal skepticism about the effectiveness of this sort of treatment. Do you know of any resources I could share with my mother and sister on alternative hormone treatments? So Samantha, I'll just say something about that. Um, there are certainly, and we've mentioned this on previous episodes, there are doctors who know the church's teaching on um, the immorality of contraception and are faithful to it. They understand what Christopher just said in the first part of the answer, that um, that there are occasions when one could use this medicine, which is perhaps invented as a hormonal birth control, but to treat another um, problem and is not, in fact, in your sister's case, it's not even, you know, affecting her fertility. Um, but some doctors would say, I still don't want to be involved in contraception. I don't want my patients to give money to the industry. I don't want to be associated with it. And I want to understand how best to help a woman's uh, hormonal problems in ways that don't incorporate any connection to contraception. And so um, if that's kind of what your heart is saying, gosh, I, I feel that too. You know, if you're feeling like I don't even like the connection, even if it's technically morally acceptable, um, I would just direct you to the Paul VI Institute. It's Paul with a Roman numeral VI after it, uh, named after Pope Paul VI. Uh, that's connected to Creighton University. Uh, which is a Catholic university, and they have done a lot of research on women's hormonal cycles and other ways to more effectively support healthy hormonal function. So I encourage you to look there. And we'll put the link in the show notes so you can check that out. So grateful to Kova, to Emma, to Samantha for your questions today. And keep those questions coming. If you want to have a better chance of having your question answered on our podcast Take a look at the link in the show notes to become a patron. Your monthly patronage helps the work of the Institute tremendously. And we have wonderful ongoing formation exclusive to our patrons, including just recently released a program for parents and teenagers on learning and living the theology of the body done by my dear friend and colleague, Bill Donahue. You're going to want to check that out. It is superb. We offer quarterly retreats for our patrons, and there are study series, a long list of talks, all kinds of benefits. So check that out. And your support of this mission allows us to do what we do. So grateful to our patrons. So grateful to all our listeners out there. Until we join you again on our next episode, may you know it in your bones that you are indispensable, irreplaceable, and unrepeatable become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.